This podcast was recorded during the 2023 WGA and SAG-AFTRA strikes. Without the labor of the writers and actors currently on strike, the television and movies being covered here would not exist. We stand with the writers and actors and support their call for equitable and fair treatment for everyone in the industry. You can support those on strike by making a donation at entertainmentcommunityfund.org, which will go to a writer, actor, or other entertainment worker in need. Hello, Riverdale gang. Hi, gang. Welcome back to um, the wrong this... side of the picket line. Well, we're not on the wrong side of the picket line now. We That's are on the correct side of the picket line. Um, welcome to the Riverdale Gang podcast, which is not your regular Riverdale Gang podcast because uh, uh, we are on strike. <laughs> um, well, we're recording yeah. here on, well, they're on strike and we're supporting them, which is what is aligned with our values. So as, as uh, normally we were, sorry, <laughs> we're recording. Ryan is on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations, where Riverdale is shot. Uh, I am on unceded Suminus and Sunnimuk territory over here near Shavinus on Vancouver Island. So mm. that's where we're at. Um, they're still striking. Yeah, our guidelines uh, still say no watch long companion podcasts. Um, yeah. So instead of promoting, um, I figured um, it might be fun to chat a little bit because we both live in Vancouver with many film people in our community circle. Um, Some of the striking realities of filmmaking that um, maybe aren't apparent to most people um, who don't live in, in a film hub. Yeah. I I think this will mostly be a me interviewing you to be honest, because my experience is mostly in theater and then being an extra in blank verse, which was something that Ryan Mm -hmm. co-produced many years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually just took off my CV because it's so long ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, not in any negative way. I was, it was a lot of fun working on that. It show. just it rolled just, off. It just rolled off. It was so long ago <laughs> and I didn't speak. <laughs> so, yes. um, yeah, You've been a film Ryan, critic I, since. I suppose so. So Ryan, um, tell tell me a little bit about your, um, I feel like I've always sort of just like swept into your filmmaking experience and like did sound for a day and then or was an extra that one time and then swept back out. Mm-hmm. So I would be interested to hear from you about different types of roles that you've had in Vancouver film and like what those sets have been like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. Well, I, I, I sampled the entire smorgasbord of um, the student film scene uh, when I still thought I wanted to be an actor. Um, mm-hmm. So I had a lovely survey of the way all of the act, just about all of the major acting and, and, and theater schools in town, um, uh, uh, Douglas College, um, Vancouver Film School, UBC, uh, uh, Simon Fraser, um, they've all got very distinct student film cultures that are part of their program, uh, that are part of their their degree program, um, that are heavily informed by the uh, professional filmmaking pipeline and industry of Vancouver. Um, To a greater or lesser degree, the film programs are designed to channel uh, young working professionals into this immediate pipeline um, to a greater or lesser degree. 
Um, so as as you know, as an amateur amateur actor who was trying to learn everything, um, it was um, overwhelming and fun and cool, and um, ultimately mostly boring. Uh, <laughs> because acting is like twelve hours of waiting for two minutes of saying one thing eight times. Mm-hmm. Um, but lovely, lovely people um, who I've, I've kept in touch with a few in a variety of ways. After university, I um, did a, a, a blend, a lot of independent theater, but also a, a string of independent film and digital uh, digital TV projects and um, a bunch of capacities. And uh, again, I, was, I am mostly thinking of the folks I, I was able to work with at the time coming out of, um, uh, I was at UBC at the time. And so um, I, I guess as I was discovering that I liked producing, I liked arts admin, um, I was paying more attention to what the people around, the creatives around me were doing in, you know, a slightly different way. By the way, listeners of the Riverdale gang, that's the, might be the first time in recorded history that someone has said, I found that I liked arts admin. (laughs) (laughs) I, I might've said that at least once. Well, okay. Recorded mm-hmm. here for the second time mm-hmm. in history. <laughs> I'm just anyway. Do carry on. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I I had a lovely, let's say, uh, six or seven years uh, floating around the film industry in a lot of um, support and production roles, and um, the 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 people around me, the amazing filmmakers around me, who you know, went to school to direct, to create, to write, to, to do creative work, more and more found themselves in um, very trade-focused trade school positions, uh, trade positions um, that they hadn't necessarily trained for, quite often using their supplementary skills, their secondary things they picked up train, training in creative or in academic modes, to then get by in what is really a very technical, uh, 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 not um, like a tech, technical school, like blue collar, uh, hands-on construction trades ticketing type work um, at, at least you know, half or more of the time. And um, there's a real disconnect in the, in the, the, the dreaming educational pipeline and the practicalities of Vancouver especially. Um, because in Vancouver, we are almost exclusively um, producing local uh, local crews for lower lower roles in in these large productions that do film here. Um, the 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 dream roles, the sweet roles, are almost always flown in, and so yeah. um, you know over the years there's such a drift and a pressure to the small indie creative projects we you lose people to the to the pace of the professional film projects um and so you know i i floated more into theater um at the time because i actually enjoyed doing the work in the process whereas film always seemed to adhere to these extremely exhausting structured days that maximize everyone's ability that pushes everyone beyond their their um their comfort and capacity uh to to get the work done um that culture's trickled down a few generations wise now and that's really i think the culture of 
an outside external studio financer using local skills, trades, and labor um, to make their art. Um, and for generations now, local artists have been trying to stimulate and generate that more, more creative work in this area. But consistently, most of my peers, most of my, my friends who are still working in film are working in uh, union on call positions more than not. Um, in un unstable short-term gig contract work. And um, it is very normal to be to receive a call offering you a shift uh, after 8 p.m. for the following morning beginning at uh, 8 p.m. That's, right. that's a common practice. Um, and uh, increasingly as, as people will have to bail on plans mid-supper because they can work tomorrow and that work yeah. is going to be 14 hours operating heavy equipment yeah. um and what 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 really struck me is that there didn't seem to be any logistical reason to call your crew up less than 12 hours before your shoot to fill out what you know is 50 to 60 staff roles um and to crew it like your like you're hiring day laborers under the table um, and trying to screw everyone over is really what it feels like more than not. That is really interesting because I, I'm so used to that being a feature of the film industry that it never occurred to me to think mm -hmm. this isn't actually very good logistical planning and it really doesn't make a difference to the film shoot if they plan mm -hmm. in advance. Unless yeah. they're waiting for money to come through, which I know can sometimes happen with film that suddenly mm -hmm. the money gets pulled or suddenly it appears and, or, you know, whatever. Yes. Um, yeah. And those are huge other, those are huge volatile factors um, that I think are also exacerbated by our um, market studio system that mm. builds an entire executive management class um, who maintain control over those whims of, of development. Um, what creative does happen in Canada is mostly funded by the CEC, filmed in Toronto. Um, a much more successful peer of that would be uh, BBC programming. Um, and we see the the hands-on difference in a show like Dairy Girls. Sorry, did Dairy you Girls. mean CBC? Or you, you're, oh, no, you're talking yeah, about CBC the and okay. BBC. Yeah, um, using, again, a, like a state patronage model to produce a small amount of good quality work at a reasonable pace that doesn't extract from the the staff. Um, you know, infamously, uh, you know, Sherlock, the long waits between seasons are are um, largely because of labor rules hmm. and decent work hour regulations that really that don't exist here. I remember reading an anecdote about when the first Star Wars, like the very first Star Wars movie, was shooting in the UK. Mm -hmm. The American, uh, the Americans running the show, um, literally running the show, haha, um, were s really startled when the crew took a tea break and like the tea break was sacrosanct. They mm -hmm. all, mm -hmm. the entire crew had a tea break and they went and they all got a cup of tea and didn't work for a period of time. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. was so different than what the, um, the Americans were used to. And, yes. um, you don't take a break unless you're given one. Yeah. And, and that's I, only because yeah. you're not needed. 
that's the only it's, reason you're getting a break in most films such, that's had experience. It's such an interesting thing. Like Canada and the United States obviously are the products of British colonialism. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and and when I say products, I there like there could be some connotation of like white people <laughs> built this country, which um, is disgusting and not how I feel and isn't built true. the worst parts. <laughs> um, but I guess what I'm getting at is that the culture of overworking mm-hmm, I thought mm-hmm. in Canada and the United States would have come from a British culture of overworking. And it's interesting to mm-hmm. me, these like working class moments that I hear of in the UK where mm-hmm. the act of owning your own labor, like the right to take a break to have a cup of tea, um, is exercised pretty frequently. And I think there's something really cool about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. It's an entirely different culture um, of, of, of how, you, how you do a thing. It's, um, it's as different as throwing a birthday party or a wedding and yeah. expecting... Great. At the end, it's it's a party. Um, but you actually have to pay your caterers at a wedding. You can't just ask auntie to please bring cake and, <laughs> you know, Facebook message everyone to bring hors d'oeuvres and coffee. Um, I've absolutely been paid real money to dre- address frantic last minute within the hour um, logistical crises that would not need to exist with even a day's more planning um, on small film things um, who can't afford to hire me to do that. Yeah. Um, and only, you know, see a whiff of how many hours that those working in professional film, especially the animation and VFX world, um, how many hours go into these absurd last-minute corrections and changes um, that they are then ex- obliged to just make happen? Um, yeah, that's And the more you talk about it, the worse it sounds, working conditions in, in <laughs> film and TV in Canada. Okay, guess what? It actually sucks a lot. Um, and, of course, I'm comparing it also to this mythical California as if, that's any better it's a different set of problems and exploitation yeah I can give a little bit of perspective on that I worked in Mm. California as a live-in nanny for a um a pretty uh, for a chunk of time and the um the family I worked for were a film industry family the father uh worked in editing and I remember when it really came to crunch time on the, I'm not going to name the movie or name him or anything, but it really came to crunch time on the big, big movie that he was working on. He just didn't, he came home to sleep and like barely, to be honest. And they were allowed to work him almost like a month solid. Yeah. And, and it was his responsibility to make it work. Right. Yeah. And really only getting like eight hours off between shifts, maybe. Like, mm-hmm. um, really almost no sleep. And he just had to, like, go home, go to bed, get back up, get back in his car and drive back. And it really, mm-hmm. like, I really fell for him. You know, he didn't see his kids. He didn't see his wife. He, You know, it was, mm-hmm. uh, it was a big sacrifice. So. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, um, that's the type of exploitation that I think 
is broadly attempted at just about every department in some capacity. Um, but I, I, I don't think the editors are necessarily as, as protected from that. I know with, with acting, um, broadly speaking, there's, there's going to be a mandated 12 hour minimum turnover for you in, uh, between your end and your start. Uh, I think it's actually 16 hours in some cases. I, I mean, that a bare 16 hours. Um, and then you get quibbling into things about, well, driving yourself home or having a driver. Um, yeah. But like the fact that it seems more sensible to work your people to the point that they can't drive themselves home and it's cheaper to hire a second person. Wild. Yeah. You really do see how broken capital. I mean, you see how broken capitalism is in a lot of things, but I think especially in what is supposed to be art for pleasure. You right. This, you know. Oh, it really like this is not art for pleasure. No. Anyway. No. <laughs> on that grim note, Riverdale <laughs> gang, we're just gonna end up in a in a hole. <laughs> I really, I do. That's why strike. Back, that's why strike. I do want to come back to the fact that that's why a strike like this is so hopeful. It isn't mm. all doom and gloom. You know, people mm-hmm. are people are choosing to speak up for owning their own labor because they care about the labor. Because yeah. they're passionate about the labor. And that's no beautiful. No one wants to do like, bad work. It is work. beautiful. No one wants to do bad work. I know. We're, we're all being made to do worse work than we really should be making by resource restrictions. Yeah. but By, by arbitrary I, and chosen resource restrictions. Yeah. But I do feel hopeful. The strike makes me feel very hopeful. And I think maybe that's a good note to end on for our short episode. Yeah. Hope. Next, oh. next, next week, I'll tell you about the, the mass layoffs in my healthcare job a bunch of years ago. <laughs> oh, boy. I'll save that for next week. Okay. Bye, gang. Week. Stay tuned. Bye, gang.